Give thanks to the Lord. But why? Common question that we, we ask from little on up, right? Well, why? Why give thanks to the Lord? And the question itself, why, can have different motivation behind it. Why can be asked out of curiosity or questioning. Curiosity because I, I'm looking for information. I, I want to know how something is or why something is. And so I ask why. How does that work? Why does this happen when I push this? Why does this work this way? And so we take things apart trying to gain more information. And then there's asking why really from the standpoint of questioning, which is to say we're second-guessing really or doubting. You could conceivably ask that of somebody tonight who maybe brought a pumpkin pie. Oh, why'd you bring a pumpkin pie? Oh, it's my favorite. Family recipe. Easy to pick up from Costco. Whatever it might be. That's information, right? Or you could ask, why'd you bring a pumpkin pie? And you're not really seeking to gain information. You're not really concerned about why they actually brought it. You're second-guessing. You're questioning that because it sounds like maybe you're not a fan of pumpkin pie, right? So when we are told and encouraged again and again in Scripture, because this is a common refrain, give thanks to the Lord, it's natural for us to ask why, and maybe even more so if it's been a rough season of life for us and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot to give thanks for, we, we are inclined to say why. Maybe second-guessing or doubting or maybe we're just looking for information. Why does the Bible say give thanks to the Lord? What, what is the point of that? So my open prayer is that uh, through the, the word this evening, not only will you be able to identify why you ask why, what's the motivation behind it, but really more importantly that as we look to God's word, you'll see a, a good reason for thanksgiving. A little bit of context is probably in order for the verses from 1 Chronicles. King David had just recently become king and always seeking to, to kind of do a, a course correction after his predecessor, the King Saul, uh, who didn't have such a, 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 a reign that was really worth emulating. One of the things that was important to David that Saul had neglected was the Ark of the Covenant, which was something God had given to his people as not only a symbol of his presence, but also his blessing. And it was kind of a centerpiece of worship but it had been lost to the Philistines in battle. And then when it was returned, it wasn't even brought to any place in prominence, but was being held in, in an individual's house. So David sought to bring that back to a special location and, and elevate it to its prominent place. And, and as you might recall this story, as the ark was being transported in a way that didn't follow God's very strict and very clear directions for transporting it. A man named Uzzah reached out as the, the oxen were stumbling with the, the Ark of the Covenant and he reached out to touch it so it wouldn't fall and instantly God struck him dead. Because God many times in the Old Testament really went out of his way to establish, I'm pretty serious about sin. When I give you commands, this isn't a suggestion. And he illustrated that. And David was initially kind of angry uh, that that had all happened and realized the reason behind it was that the Levites, the religious leaders, hadn't looked back to the word of God to see how the ark was supposed to be properly transported. 
Well, long story short, too late for that already. They, they got the ark where it was supposed to be, where David had set apart a special tent for it. And that led to a reason to rejoice, to give thanks. So David put his best man on the job, his worship coordinator, Asaph, and directed him to use the words that are before us this evening. Words that are also found in the Psalms, Psalm 106, recorded as well here. And as he does so, these last couple of verses of our first reading tonight really are what conclude this song of praise. And we want to highlight that first verse. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. There's your first reason. Sounds like a pretty good reason to give thanks. If we're asking why, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And if you look back through the the rest of this chapter that precedes these verses, this whole song of praise that that God's people were singing and rejoicing in at the return of the ark, you see one reason after another of evidence that the Lord is good. They point all the way back to creation as evidence of of how good God is. They go back to Abraham and the promise that was given to him, not only of descendants, but that they would have their own land in Canaan someday. They point out how many times God delivered them graciously from their enemies. Reason after reason after reason in this song that is evidence of, of how good God is. But you don't need to hear that from David, do you? Because unless you have lived under a rock, unless you've had your head stuck in the sand, you know from your own experience how good God is. Now this, I suppose, would be a time where typically we could say, all right, I I can give you a whole laundry list, just an endless list of all of the blessings, all of the reasons, all of the evidence that God is good. But I'm going to kind of come at it from a different way. I want you to think about the last time that you complained. Maybe it was today, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was last week, but it probably wasn't too long ago. And think about what you complained about. Because I'm guessing that more often than not, when we complain, we're not complaining out of an absence of something, out of something that we don't have. Rather, more often, if you pay attention to your complaints, it's a complaint between one good thing and another good thing. For example, you don't complain about not having enough water to drink like many people in the world do. We complain about not having the right flavored water that we really like to drink. Think about, we don't have to complain uh, about some ruthless dictator ruling over our country and taking advantage of us. We complain about this political party or that, neither of which matters when it comes to enjoying the freedoms that, that our country enjoys. We complain about how much gas costs. We don't complain about having to go without it. We complain about, am I going to eat leftovers tonight? Are we going to make something new for dinner? Are we going to go out to eat? We don't have to complain about, am I going to have food to eat? And so it's not just a, a list of all the things to be grateful for. Even look at the stuff that we complain about is evidence of how good God is in our lives. One good thing versus another. And God is is constantly, abundantly giving us so much more than we need to get by. That's a pretty good reason for thanksgiving. God is good, and we all know it from experience. 
But as you know, that's not the end of the verse. As if to kind of build off of that or, or serve as a springboard, we have evidence of how good God is because his love endures forever. Now, I just talked about that, that word endures a little bit. But think about all of the things that don't endure in our world. The, the latest screen that you have, the, the technology, uh, needs to get upgraded before you even figure out how to use the current one that you have, right? Um, fashion and, and style trends are constantly evolving, always changing. They don't endure either. The, the buzzworthy show that is streaming now is going to be replaced by five new ones tomorrow. It doesn't matter, does it? Nothing endures. The history lessons that you were taught in school growing up are different from the history lessons that are being taught now. So little endures in this day and age. Almost nothing does, right? And you contrast that to, to what David and what the Israelites are rejoicing in here and what is also referred to in the New Testament by Peter. And I, I'm going to read a, a verse from him that, that I think just beautifully harmonizes and captures how both the word endures in the Old Testament and the New. Of all of the things that are changing, all of the things that are, are, are not enduring in our world, this is not one of them. This endures. The word endures. Listen to how Peter put it in chapter 1 of his first epistle. He says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word endures. So little else in the world does. And do you know why the word endures? It's because of what message is conveyed in this word, and that is no more, no less than the Lord's enduring love for you. Which is why these pages will never vanish, which is why this book will never disappear, because the Lord's love for you will never vanish or disappear. So as long as the Lord's love endures, so rest assured will his word endure because this is how he conveys his love to us. Now, I assume that there's not anybody that's going to disagree with that. I mean, I, I suppose you can. You might believe something different. But if we truly believe that the Lord loves us, his love endures, then we know that it is recorded for us in Scripture, which will also endure. So here's my, my follow-up question then. Why is it that we focus so much attention on why is it that we give so much of, of our time and our concern to all of those things that don't endure? To all of the stuff that is constantly changing? Why is it that we are longing for the old days, the glory days? Why do we cling to the past? Why do we lament everything that is changing? Why do we focus so much of our time and attention on all of the things that don't endure at the expense of the one thing that does endure? Why is it that only occasionally through a sermon we're reminded, oh, that's right, this is the one thing that stands firm and we find comfort that the Lord's promises endure. But here's the thing. You don't have to, to wait to utilize this to take advantage of it till a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Thursday evening or a Wednesday evening, whatever day of the week it is. This is at your disposal all the time, isn't it? It endures forever. 
So let's take advantage of the word that endures forever. It's not like this is a library book that's only checked out for a little time. There's not a time limit on this. There's, there's not any restrictions like portions of it that you can't read or aren't allowed to or prohibited from. This is God's letter of his enduring love for you. And yet so often we focus on all of the things that change and don't endure in this life instead of the one thing that does endure and gives us the assurance of eternal life. It would seem to be another pretty good reason to give thanks, not only because the Lord is good, but because his love endures forever. So what if we focused more on that word and his enduring love for us that will not change? You know what really makes this this impressive is the more you read it, the more grateful you become. You know why that is? It's because the more we read it, it it makes very clear to us that, that every one of us has every reason under the sun to walk away from this evening extremely racked with guilt. Because the Word points out very clearly how guilty we are of despising what endures this in favor of all of the things that don't. And what we ultimately deserve for choosing all of the things that pass and change and don't last is to finally not have our relationship with the Lord last any longer than it already does. But that's not the only thing that this enduring word tells us. What it also tells us is that you don't need to leave this evening feeling guilty Because God was not content to be cut off and separated from you. Because he wanted to show, no, he wanted to prove to you his enduring love. So he took on flesh, wrapped himself up, and he came for the very sinners who despise the very word that he gives to us to forgive us. Just as as Jesus from the cross expressed his willingness, his desire to forgive the very individuals who were crucifying him. So did Jesus come to this earth to forgive the very Christians who despise and neglect his enduring word. And when we drink from that well more deeply, when we realize what we really deserve from the Lord, and that in his unparalleled grace and his mercy, not only is he not going to give us what we deserve, but he so abundantly gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace upon grace upon grace, that draws us even more to him and to his enduring word. And so we can appreciate where where David goes on after encouraging us to give thanks. He says, Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. That praise, that Thanks never ends because the Lord's love for you endures. It never ends. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Two really good reasons for thanksgiving. God is good. And his love endures forever. Now the trick is is to take 
those truths from this enduring word that we know are recorded for us here and place them here and place them here. And when that happens, we realize that we always have a good reason for thanksgiving. Amen.